Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adam Dick, Science Advisor with the Canadian Wood Fibre Centre of the Canadian Forest Service. Hopefully, I got that right, Adam. Yep, you got it. Awesome, awesome. So what's shaking in your world? Where, where, where are we reaching you today? I'm in my basement uh, in Fredericton, New Brunswick. So the CFS has uh, multiple centers across the country. Fortunate that Fredericton is one, so I don't have to go far from Absolutely. home. Absolutely. And, and what's the latest state out there? Things are like in Ottawa here, lockdown. Yeah, we're in pseudo lockdown. They're hoping, they said we'd go till the end of the week, but uh, things, things aren't turning around. So it wouldn't surprise me if we kept in this mode for a while. So. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever go back into the office at some point? Did they reopen it? Because you guys, no. East Coast was a bit better yeah. with COVID. The, the thing is, you know, we could have gone back, but everything is kind of dictated out of Ottawa. So as long as things aren't improving in Ottawa, they, uh, and, and, and fair enough, you know, it's hard to micromanage, you know, what's going on in this center every day. And, you know, when they think of remote field work uh, in Ottawa, they might think of a geologists going into a remote northern indigenous community so there's a lot of reason to be cautious about for sure how we move around and stuff so yeah so in ottawa and your reference is is the government i live in ottawa so of course we're the center of the universe everybody knows that it's not toronto but uh i'm just joking of (laughs) course but so it it was kind of funny i was i was thinking the last time we saw i always do this on a lot of the podcasts and some people are like why do you do this because i'm like I don't know. I kind of like to know when the last time I traveled and who I saw. But in this case, visiting you guys out in Fredericton for that AI workshop in February 2020. Yeah, we're was we're my just last trip. On, yeah, we're just was that your last time in a plane? Last time in a tin cup. Yeah. Yep, that was it. Heading to Freddie to meet with you guys. Yeah, no, that was almost two years ago. I went, went to Toronto a couple of weeks after that for the last aware meeting, and uh, yeah, things were a little bit surreal in hindsight going back yeah. to the airport and last trip on a plane too so yeah it's crazy and we'll, and we'll yeah. talk more about where and other research programs so customary with with this podcast is getting to know you uh, sure. your background in forestry how you came to be so maybe tell our listeners how did you get into forestry yeah so i mean i in, in some ways forestry runs in the family i have uh, a grandfather who turns 97 next month and he uh wow graduated from Maritime Forest Ranger School in 1948. He was the third class out of there. I've got an uncle who went through the forestry program at UNB, including a master's. He and I had offices next door to one another when I worked with the province. Um, And then I went through the program, uh, did a master's and an undergrad at UNB in forestry. Um, I've got four sorry three cousins who have recently completed the program are wrapping up so no kidding uh, runs deep in the family yeah no so, kidding yeah and and so i'm just curious because i've i, I didn't go to school in in forestry but i've discovered I, I won't say rivalry but maybe pedigree in terms of some of yeah. the different forestry schools yeah. any ever thoughts of you know heading west uh, you know ubc or u of a i, I don't even know u of t but leaving the maritime region or was it always kind of clear to you you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on forestry out yeah, i mean i'm from i'm from fredericton and uh you know you you kind of grow up embedded in you know there's a lot of uh, of 
of forestry activity, obviously, in New Brunswick. So, you know, you see it embedded within the, the work you do and obviously having relatives who are in the sector. So never really saw the reason to, you know, if I were going to do forestry, it was going to be to work in the forest sector in New Brunswick. So yeah. um, during my master's program, I did end up, I had the opportunity to do the U, UBC fall field camp up in near Williams Lake um, one year. And, and, you know, that was very, uh, you know, that was, that was educational in, ter take, in terms of taking what I had learned in New Brunswick and, and putting it into a different context and, you know, seeing what is, what can, is readily translatable. Obviously the species are different, but, you know, in terms of silviculture, things like that. Um, and I worked a summer in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan during my undergrad too. So I've, I've not completely been in New Brunswick. But for sure, for sure. Good old uh, Waska Sioux neck of the woods up there in uh, exactly. MPA, yep. nice area. My wife's uh, from just outside Regina, so that's summer stomping grounds and there you go. love it. Uh, good old Boreal, not that many people around, which again, check, check for this guy and, uh, and uh, the liquor beer store is about 50 meters away from the cabin. So triple check, 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 check and, and uh, all good. So maybe tell for our listeners, uh, share, I, I know some of this, obviously I've known you for several years, but for our listeners, Tell me more about that career. You're in the federal side of things now, but at one point it was provincial. Then you also had yeah. like other, so maybe kind of lay that path for me. You finished UMB school, then, you know, obviously chose or maybe decided not to do more grad school, but you kind of went into industry. Maybe kind of share with us that progression and uh, did it kind of go the way you expected? Yeah. Um, I guess in hindsight, I guess I'm where I want to be, but it has been a bit of a circuitous route. So I, I finished, um, actually it'd be 20 years in the spring when I finished my undergrad. I did that in 2002 um, and was going to go work for industry. And then just as a, as the, the year was wrapping up, um, Dave McLean, who's a professor, was the dean at the time at UMB, approached me and and uh, said he he had a an internship I guess uh, to do GIS work within his his research lab so I, I actually took that um, so that was the first fortunate uh, you know in uh, in in choosing your path I guess that was the first fortunate one so um, within about two weeks of starting a GIS internship he came to me and said actually we need we're, we're starting a whole bunch of field work up in Blackbrook. Um, and we need someone to run the field work. So can you go do that? So I ended up up in the up in Blackbrook staying in camp for the first summer, collected a lot of data for a, a you know a master's student that had yet been identified, but the field work had to start. Um, <laughs> so I did that first summer and started analyzing the data. And then, you know, Dave hadn't found a, a master's student yet. So I kind of said, well, maybe, maybe I'm the maybe I'm the candidate. So started part-time doing doing my master's at UNB. Um, and then there was a, at the, at the time there was a uh, integrated forest management lab that was being established at UNB. Um, and so I got a contract to kind of run the day-to-day -day operations of that lab uh, and, you know, work on contract, contract work, do analytical work at the same time. That lasted three years, still doing the master's part-time that contract was up and the growth and yield unit uh, position came up in New Brunswick. So the person, really the, the single person working on growth and yield in New Brunswick um, 
and coordinating. It, it was actually, it was interesting. It was a shared position between government and industry. So, you know, you had to be very objective, see both sides of the coin and, uh, you know, the, the really be rigorous in the, in the information and the results you were presenting because both sides wanted, you know, you're taking their side, you're taking their side. Why are you? Right. Um, so that was really interesting. Got, you know, got into digging into data, inventory data, um, and really part of it too was under, it was the, really the first time where, you know, we started having that conversation of New Brunswick has a strategic level, you know, photo and turf based forest inventory where we get stratum averages, uh, big numbers, maybe work so-so for doing strategic forest management planning over the long term, but once you start getting into forest operations, it wasn't enough. Um, and so starting in on the side, that dialogue about, you know, when this inventory cycle comes up, what do we want to do next? What, what year was uh, that when that dialogue was starting, Adam? So that was the, 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 the I guess the, we're almost actually at the last end of the current 10 year cycle. It would have been around 2000, um, 2010, 2011 to figure okay. out what was going to happen in 2013 for the next inventory cycle okay. was kind of where those discussions were happening. Um, and so part of that, I transitioned from the growth and yield unit into provincial government formally and really wor started working in the inventory uh, group. And really, I don't think it was ever formally tasked to me, but I kind of, with my get up and go, kind of took the, the leadership on it and, and starting to facilitate that discussion on what on what the, the future inventory, what we wanted to look like, what we needed for attributes, and then kind of scanning the, the world and seeing what was out there as opportunities. And that's where, you know, Murray Woods and Doug Pitt and all of those folks came in and, you know, and the Canadian Wood Fiber Center who were working hard uh, doing case studies in Ontario on enhanced forest inventory, you know, the use of LIDAR for high resolution, your 20 meter cell inventory. Um, I think you were one of the co-authors on a paper came out of Ontario on the development of an operational forest inventory for Boreal Ontario. I can't remember the exact title, but I, I remember the day of seeing that paper came out and I went to folks within the forest inventory section. I said, this is what we're going to do for the next forest inventory cycle. And that started a really a big sprint of, okay, you know, this looks promising in Ontario. We've got a different forest condition in New Brunswick. It's more complex. There's there's other criteria we want to make sure we can satisfy. Um, how are we going to convince ourselves that that's, that's the approach we want to take? Um, and so again, speak going back to you know kind of the forestry community around Fredericton in New Brunswick, and you know having the federal government, the Canadian Forest Service here in Fredericton, and particularly an important asset is the Acadia Research Forest outside of Fredericton. Right. Yeah. And we realized that there was already a LIDAR capture at Acadia Research Forest, um, and that was made available to us. And basically the winter of 2012, we went out there every day uh, and got on snowmobiles and put in a whole bunch of inventory plots and, and, uh, and collected a bunch of data. And then I dove right into it, you know, was made aware of fusion, didn't really want to have to take the time to figure all that out. So I just started coding everything up in R and basically wanted to replicate what was done in that Ontario paper. And by spring, we were able to do that in, in, uh, 
Atacadia. I remember Doug coming down in the spring and, you know, and Murray were both there and, and maybe Murray wasn't there, but presenting our results and, you know, was very happy. Um, I had done first, you know, take the equations out of the Ontario paper and just directly apply them to New Brunswick. How transferable are they? And then start building it myself. Um, and things look positive. Yeah. And so that's really what got things rolling. You know, we went through the procurement process to, you know, start, uh, you know, getting the, the LIDAR acquisition, finding a, a solution provider and so on. At that point, we didn't have the budget. So, you know, we were kind of working with, we'll, we'll take the inventory, you know, the solution provider, you know, keep the LIDAR on, on the shelf and maybe we'll come back to get the LIDAR. Um, eventually we'll find other government, government departments who see a need for it. Um, but really our focus was getting that, that forest inventory. Uh, we did 700,000 hectares in 2013 in the first year. And really the snowball kept rolling, bringing in the partners. Um, you know, we started at a one point data acquisition, uh, planning to do that over a 10 year cycle. Um, then we started bringing in, as I said, other government departments. We uh, received additional funding from the province um, as well as from the federal government because we started making those connections on the other non-forest sectors and their needs. So we got money from the Climate Change Adaptation Fund um, to look at coastal erosion and things like that. All that says we went from 2013 starting, let's just get the inventory, um, one point per square meter acquisition to getting more funds, accelerating that program to the point where by 2018, we had all of New Brunswick covered with LIDAR and enhanced forest inventory, including going back to the original blocks that were done at one point, recapture those at six points. We have a six point capture over all of, all of New Brunswick and enhanced forest inventory. And, I'd say still working with the sector to try to figure out how they're going to best take advantage of all that new information. You know, that next paradigm shift of I've got this great input of data, but how do the how does that change my decision decision tools and the you know what what do I do with that data to really yeah. capture the value that's within it? Yeah, yeah. So so what a journey there, and so lots there. I know there's there's different names for our listeners. Uh, Murray Woods worked at uh, Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, whatever, different names at different times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Dr. Doug Pitt worked at uh, with Canadian Wood Fiber Center as well. Exactly. And, yeah. and uh, so a small community at the, the end of the day. And it's really cool to hear the synergies, the different players yeah. coming together yeah. to realize something, something new. But one thing that struck me was when you said, uh, you know, you started using Fusion. So again, for our listeners, U.S. Uh, Forest Service, open source, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's open source piece of software for yeah. uh, data processing for forestry. And then you coded it in R yeah. for a minute. Uh, and R for our listeners, uh, our foresters, a uh, statistical uh, modeling, again, open source uh, environment there. But for a minute, I was, I was in my head going like, oh, great. Well, it's so good. You went to computer science or something technical in yeah. undergrad. And yeah, it was forestry. So where do those skill sets come? Because not everyone, you know, just grabs and go, yeah, I'm going to write my own script and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, there's an element of technical literacy yeah. there. Where'd that come from? Well, so actually when I, and, and, and I've, I've recently had the discussion with the forestry faculty at UNB. Um, when, I, when I completed my undergrad, I actually did a computer applications minor alongside of it, um, which was, I would there say- sort of basic, you know, 
heavy focus on GIS, um, I would say. You know, we picked up, you know, I, I took a course in Java, a lot of, uh, you know, GIS. We went to the geomatics department to take courses on projections and things like that. Um, coding really was picking it up on the job and just understanding that that was a tool that I was going to need to answer some of my questions. Um, now, as I said, I'm 20 years on from my undergrad, and, and I met with the dean and the acting dean at, at UMB Forestry before Christmas. And you know, I said, I'm curious, what does that, obviously things have changed over 20 years, what does that computer applications minor look like today? Um, you know, and the program's changed, they split it off a little bit, it had gone from a five-year program, now currently it's a four-year program, they don't offer that minor anymore. And we all okay, kind of said, okay, that that's something that we need to focus on and figure out, you know, what, you know, today, what would that computer applications minor look like? Um, what kind of yeah, tools, yeah. you know, what does the digital forester need to be able to do their job, right? Um, absolutely, and, absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, that's something over the next year, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to provide that reply to them. I'm going to try to convene a set of stakeholders from the forest sector and figure out what what kind of skill sets they need as they go, you know, as they're hiring and recruiting into their workplaces. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome initiative. Yeah, because as we know, you know, you know, our kids are similar in age, uh, you know, they're learning these coding skills, like my eldest mm -hmm. is coding right now, and she's 11 years old. And yeah. when she shows me her, uh, her slide deck, I'm like, wow, how did you do that? And she looks at me like, <laughs> Like, what do you mean, dad? It's like, this is like so easy. And then she's like, exactly. like, where did you learn? And I said, oh, dad actually had an undergraduate course on how to make um, exactly. slides, you know, markers on the acetates with a projector and exactly. PowerPoint was like this new thing, right? And then she just kind of gave me this look of like, like how old are you? Like, holy yeah. cow, I didn't think you were that old. I'm like, well, I'm not that old, but that was the time. So the skills are going to change. So I think that would exactly. be an awesome initiative. And that yeah. connects the dots in the sense of, you know, you being able to do that technical more comp side because you were already exposed to it and it wasn't something scary. It, it almost exactly. sounds like it was a natural progression of, I got a problem, so I'm going to use my skills really, to, to yeah. tackle it. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. So we think about, uh, so obviously from our listeners listening, describe that journey. You know, we've we've heard the buzzword LIDAR. We've heard some changes in point density, different players yeah. um, and whatnot. What was maybe some of the fear or uncertainty? Because again, you were in a government environment, like a public environment. So even when we think about digital transformation or even change in general in private sector, that's scary enough. So we move into a public space that cuts yeah. off to you for like getting that off the ground because there's a lot of players and we yeah. can all read between the lines what that means. But what were what were some of that 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 fud, I guess, that that fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the early days as you're trying to get this off? Because you obviously had a vision on where you saw things could go. Yeah. But what were some of those those impediments that you bumped into early on that some of our listeners might actually benefit from hearing and understanding how you you overcame some of those those typical objections? So I mean, obviously working in a government environment, you're you're given a fixed budget every year and you're you're lucky if it stays constant over time uh it's more likely to go down than than go up over time and you know so we had a fixed budget for forest inventory and as i said you know our first endeavor into it you know we we realized two things if if we if we waited for everything to fall in place we'd still be here today waiting for our first you know lidar scan over the province right good point. and um and we realized that we 
our mandate was forest inventory. And so that's what we had to focus on. And so, as I said, that's why when we initially began, we said, okay, we're, we've convinced ourselves it's gonna work for forest inventory. We're ready to take that leap. We can, we can at our budget level, get an inventory produced. So we just started and ran with it. And then in parallel, once we were going, you know, started to build those coalitions within government to say, you know, um, go to the Department of Environment and say, you know, you know, LIDAR is an amazing tool to start looking at, um, you know, better delineating streams. There were a few big hundred year floods in, on St. John River, uh, flooded downtown Fredericton. Okay, you wanna figure out, you know, if, you know, the river uh, exceeds flood level by three meters, where is it gonna go? What is it gonna impact? LIDAR is a great tool for that. Um, and so we just started building those case studies. Um, going to NGOs, watershed groups within the province, um, Department of Transportation. Um, you know, we also worked with our other provincial uh, colleagues. So uh, the Quebec government, for example, has done a great report going, they analyzed department by department, sort of what would be the economic benefit of acquiring LIDAR and what would be your quantified savings. And then, you know, I, I don't remember the specific numbers, but, you know, they concluded for every dollar you invested LIDAR, you saw a dollar fifty and returns or what have Minimum. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, kind of, you know, while we were focused on the forest inventory mandate, um, work in parallel to, to make those build that build that coalition that was going to get us all the lidar data obviously you know has uh, you know the raw lidar and the you know depth of water table mapping and elevation and all of that you know for forest operations provides a whole bunch of other benefits that are going to yield that that return on investment but yeah yeah, yeah that's so smart we're the forest inventory shop where we can get a forest inventory that's lidar derived at our budget let's go um, and you know Frankly, we, you know, we made some people upset that we had gone first because, you know, within their department, they were putting together these big strategic plans for okay. LIDAR for the province, right? And, yep. you know, I wouldn't say they, you know, they didn't stop talking to us, but that was really, you know, we were pushing people along when we, we had to to, to, to to bring them to the table and, and get us to the point where we were at, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like you guys were more in the doing mode and making friends and building alliances than maybe uh, those around the table talking exactly. and strategizing yeah. and, uh, yeah. uh, and hoping there's a lot of there's that things, you know, even today, you know, you know, folks will say, well, the volume predictions aren't exactly where we want them to be in the enhanced forest inventory. But, you know, had we not started back then, we wouldn't even known that and then understand where incrementally we need to make those improvements and do that work. Yeah. So, so, so let's, let's run off, let's run off that. That's a great segue. So, so maybe for our listeners, tell us about the New Brunswick wall-to-wall EFI, um, the metrics that, that were modeled and then connect the dots in that last statement where you say some folks are like, well, you know, it's not, it's not that good. Yeah. It's not good enough. And then what, what's your response to that? And, and then uh, what work are, what, what work's going in to address that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the, the province of New Brunswick, um, I guess, you know, at the six point level between 2015 and 2018 would kind of be the bookends of sort of the inventory that's currently available at six point per square meter. Um, you know, obviously predicting height, basal area, quadratic mean diameter. Uh, you know, the other things we did to kind of 
reduce our cost where you know we were very specific on what we wanted to get from the vendor and then hand over to us and what we can do in-house so basically anything that was measured in a plot with a pair of calipers or a or a hypsometer to measure a height that's what we got from the vendor when it came to volume those things we we, we developed an internal approach to figure those out ourselves so it, it saved us cost on one hand the other thing is as product specs change over time and, and you know, markets and all of that, that's something that internally we could refresh and, uh, and, and update and not have to go back to a raw point cloud to be able to update, you know, our net merchantable volume predictions the moment uh, or our percent of saw log once our upper stem diameter uh, limit got changed or something like that, our merchantability spec. So those were the things that we were able to, to change. The, the reality is, you know, once you get to volume on an enhanced forest inventory, in most cases, you're still using empirical equations that are derived off of data that, you know, might have been collected years ago in another jurisdiction. It's not going to be precise enough at that local, at that local resolution, right? And... Um, so we need to think of another approach. You know, I I did I developed co-developed the taper equations for New Brunswick in 2009. We did a bunch of stem analysis and plantations in New Brunswick. And Aaron Weiskettle at University of Maine got Honer's. You know, Honer's equations are kind of the standard equations yep. in Eastern Canada. He reanalyzed all of Honer's raw data with some you know nonlinear mixed effects models. Took a different approach and and you know same data but saw an improvement. But still, you know, plantations in New Brunswick is an important uh, basket of volume. Uh, and, you know, we, we sampled a thousand trees to describe every tree that we're going to harvest. Obviously, it's not enough data. So, you know, part of, you know, if we want to get into the, the workshop that we held two years ago and, you know, looking at big data and artificial intelligence and really, you know, it's transformed into, you know, terms around forest value chain optimization and digitalization is really starting to get into what are the, um, you know, what does that digital supply chain look like? How much, what quantities and types of data do we need along there to, to help people make decisions? Um, at the front end of it, at the, you know, literally at the stump, this harvester head data that is one data set that, you know, was identified at the workshop. I think everyone, you know, had seen examples of how it been, had been used. No one, I would say, is really using it in New Brunswick yet, but we saw merit and we saw complementary merit to that enhanced forest inventory, particularly, you know, I have an operational uh, block and my enhanced forest inventory with a bunch of assumptions gives me what my likely volume is there. We've always kept that on one side and then what I actually got roadside was help in another database and they never kind of, you know, you anecdotally complained that they never matched each other, but you never, you never connected them, tried to make that loop to to, to make some incremental improvements, right? Why, why do you think? Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just uh, everyone's too busy and never connected the dots of like trying to? Yeah, I think people are busy. It's again, you know, there's, you know, they're just in two separate databases. Yeah, and people are too busy to connect the two. And you know, it was at the, it was at the block level. Um, you know, it came through scale, and scale might have come from multiple mills that traced back to a block that you know, and then you had section, you know, it does get quite, quite complicated, understandably, to kind of reconstruct, you mm -hmm. know, what I planned to harvest there versus, you know, what I got, what I actually yielded yeah. off of there. 
You know, the other important thing is, you know, what I, the enhanced force inventory is telling me a standing potential volume versus what I actually merchandise and take roadside are really apples yep. and oranges. Yeah, exactly. And so people have said, well, those aren't the same numbers, so I can't feed them back. Um, but I think, you know, I, I take the approach, I'm not trying to improve necessarily that column that's predicting my before harvest volume. I want to add another field that is sort of, you know, given, you know, block size, species composition, type of equipment, contractor, time of year, and so on, what is my likely operationally netted down volume that I'm like likely to get roadside? Um, so yeah, they're different numbers, but add the column that has the different number that people really want to, you know, they run their supply chains, um, they feed their wood yards and, uh, you know, they build up their inventories before breakup and all of that based on that, on that column. And, you know, enhanced force inventory has a flavor of that column, but it's not really what people want. So. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, an interesting point. I, I always uh, joke that it's easier to complain about something versus actually digging into it and really understanding exactly. what it's about and, yeah. and then figuring out what to do with it. So yeah, yeah, definitely. So thinking of, of the EFI, and then before we maybe go more into your more recent work, um, uh, you know, obviously area based. we've heard the pixels, uh, thoughts on ITC in New Brunswick and, and where that's going yeah. and as the expert here, what do you think? So the ITC we have used through the AWARE program uh, specifically looking at, uh, at tree species prediction. And one of that was one approach that was used through the AWARE program was, and so the AWARE program was a large Canada-wide NSERC funded research program on um, really working with working with industry and understanding a series of, of specific questions that the industry had um, that remote sensing could provide an answer to. Um, and one was on uh, improved species prediction um, at, at, at the operational level. Um, and then we did use an algorithm that was out of the LIDAR point cloud or a canopy height model segmenting individual trees. Um, and it, you know, it had benefits. There's a lot of additional work you need to do when you're building up your calibration data set. You're not, you can't really deal, you're not dealing at the plot level. You're out there mapping individual trees, which obviously gets complicated and limits the, the sample size that you can generate. Um, but, you know, once you get to about a six point data set, that seems to be, you know, those algorithms seems seem to be capable of, of segmenting reasonably um, the number of trees. The other, the other benefit we've seen of the ITC approach is back at the area-based uh, approach, density is frequently one of the poor predicted variables. And, um, you know, even if the ITC is just taking, taking a crack at counting how many trees you have in the point cloud within that plot, if you feed that in, you know, it's at least giving it a little bit more information about how many trees you have in that plot. And, you know, maybe maybe improving the density predictions at that area-based level. Um, yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, definitely for our listeners that NSERC aware, uh, lots of literature being published. You know, Adam, you've been uh, involved in some of those publications as with other players. And in New Brunswick, uh, J.D. Irving would be one of the industry partners, right? Exactly. Some of the uh, yeah. obvious players there. And it was a great initiative there and uh, led by UBC Nick Coops there. And, and exactly. uh, again, small community there. 
gonna ask you so i'm gonna kind of role play again some of our listeners like out of my love ladder yeah yeah how many points do i need what's the optimum point density yeah yeah i mean the optimum point density the interesting thing about lidar is um and and we get we get the the question answer posed to us a different way in new brunswick you know the lidar is completely captured when are you going to go back and do that again right and Good point. Often, often the answer the answer I provide is, you know, we can't necessarily say today what the technology is going to be out there. You know, there's the single photon in Ontario. Um, the sensors are changing all the time, such that you know you can you can fly at a higher altitude and get a comparable point density or a higher point density. Ultimately, what's driving the cost of, of that LiDAR product is the fuel burn on that plane. So the higher altitude you can fly and get, get the point density that you want, that's really what you should be, should be tracking. Um, we've set up, you know, going back to the Acadia Research Forest and the Petawawa Research Forest in Ontario, we've set those up really as test labs where, you know, we can get multiple LiDAR captures over those areas where we can start answering some of these questions. So for example, at Acadia, we have um, a pretty good catalog of LiDAR now. We have a one-point data set and a six-point data set from 2012. We have a six-point data set from 2015. We have a six-point data set from 2018. And then we flew at 12 points per square meter last summer. So, you know, we start to have, you know, uh, a spectrum of point densities there where we can start answering some of those questions about, you know, what doors does a 12 point data set open for me over a one over a six point data set? Um, you know, is it st statistically significant uh, in my predictions that justifies the incremental, uh, the, you know, the, the incremental cost that I'm going to incur by going from a six point to a, a 12 point? The important but at, one, but at a minimum, what would you say? Across Canada right now, six seems to be the minimum that everyone is, yes. is, is standardizing on. Another important point I think about when it comes to LIDAR, and I, I think it's an important one, and, and maybe we won't realize it for a few years, but if you can cover a whole area with LIDAR, you've got, you've got, you know, we've got New Brunswick in a can, right? We've got, you know, the metaverse of, of New Brunswick in a point cloud, right? <laughs> You and had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> I had to go there. I knew I knew you'd want me to throw in some buzzwords. Absolutely. Like but there's there's questions um, that we're going to want to ask of our forest 10, 20 years from now that we're not asking today. Um, but we may want to retroactively go ask those questions so we can understand how things have changed through time. And I, you know, if if I were given the, you know, the option of, you know, this point density or that point density, I would think strongly about my budget and how, how, how high can I push that point density um, to future proof that data set in a sense. I, I know I can answer the questions I have today, but I could retroactively go, go into that data set and answer some questions in the future. Um, where, uh, you know, I may have a higher point density or, you know, the, you know, the, the policy framework, the questions I'm posing of, of my, my land base are different in the future. Yeah, and I want to keep those doors open, right? Yeah, great comment. Yeah, future proofing. Yeah, absolutely. Pay a little bit more maybe if your budget permits to 
allow you that flexibility exactly. in the future. Yeah. So for our listeners, you're, you're probably sensing this is a guy who's kind of been at this for a long time, uh, obviously knows his stuff and seen different things. I want to shift yet a little bit more because I know with the new role moving from yeah. the province to the feds, you've moved more into broader, like beyond LIDAR, so not just LIDAR exactly. inventory, yeah. you mentioned AI and things. So yeah. maybe for our listeners, share with us, what are some of those things, you know, you're, you're, you're focused on now, you touched on it uh, in yeah. terms of the supply chain, but um, last time we spoke, you know, I, I believe there's some reps from Environment Canada that were actually working with you, the CanMet team or some other players. And again, exactly. the spirit that you build partnerships and whatnot. Yeah. What are you guys working on now? Or what are you guys thinking about? Yeah, so... I mean, it goes back to, and I guess I, I never did kind of when at the start going through my timeline, I never did skip over to the federal government. So, you know, I guess, you know, I had worked on, you know, developing that program in New Brunswick and, you know, worked closely with Dr. Doug Pitt and, and researchers at the Fiber Center at the time. And then, you know, I think when, when Doug retired and they were looking for someone to step into that role, you know, I was kind of, uh, it, it was certainly a natural fit for me to move into that, that role and continue supporting what was going on in New Brunswick, but also kind of evangelizing what we had been able to do in New Brunswick and, and, and bring it to the other jurisdictions. Um, the cross-country checkup is something that we continue to hold. So we have, uh, you know, about once a year or so have, uh, you know, about, you know, an afternoon webinar uh, where every province kind of gives an update on where they are on their EFI uh, or use of remote sensing. We, we take EFI quite broadly as a term, but where are they on that? that, that that's, journey? That's coming up too, right? Soon? Yeah, that's next week, right? Next week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know when this is getting posted, so I didn't want to date it uh, necessarily. So yeah, yeah, well, well, definitely, you know, we can look at uh, Wood Fiber Center, like Twitter, social media, you can see the exactly. link. But yeah, yeah, what day is it even today? 26? Yeah, so it'll be coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. So for those uh, listening, hopefully you've registered for it. Yeah, there you go. Yep. You know, you know, my experience from with the province, and then I remember in my interview for this for this role coming into the federal government, I remember one of the questions on the interview being, you know, knowing what you know about enhanced forest inventory and the research programs that the Fiber Center has, sort of what should be our next direction? And and I remember distinctly saying, as I said, you know, we've 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 armed the forest sector with an incredible amount of rich, precise, accurate data at the operational level. But we're going to need to facilitate how that uh, transformation happens, where they 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 uptake that information and really transform the way they're making their decisions with it, so that they can see the full benefits of of that information. Um, and so that's what we've been endeavoring on, uh, as you said, within within the Canadian forests, sort of at the and our can level uh, ourselves within the fiber center, CanMed Energy. Um, in Varennes, really focus on on energy, uh, you know, energy optimization. They'll go into a pulp mill or an oil refinery, and all of the data streams that are coming over, all of the instrumentation in a, a big facility like that, um, and really optimize. Um, yeah, optimize. You know, if you tweak your boiler by this amount, you know, you're going to see a 10% increase in your in your energy efficiency and so on. And so. You know they're coming from the mill side, and it was natural for them to start reaching out into the woodyard and seeing how can we start optimizing the feed of 
of the material going into the mills. And so, you know, they had a lot of experience in big data and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so we kind of met together and, and we've been working quite closely together. Um, nice. You know, a couple examples, you know, we took the 2018 enhanced forest inventory in New Brunswick, um, you know, everything being equal, you know, the inputs, the way the point clouds were, were dissected and the metrics that were generated, um, you know, move away from random forest and try some deep, deep learning methods and, you know, really not tweaking the input, but trying a different algorithm. Can we squeeze any more uh, mileage out of that data set? And on the enhanced forest inventory, it was promising. You know, we got, you know, an improvement of, you know, maybe 10% on our R squares on oh, wow. basal area prediction, for example. Nice. So, nice. So that was promising and a good example of how we could work together on, on a data set like that. We tried species as well. Um, you know, we, we saw some small gains um, when you looked at, you know, percent hardwood, softwood, some broad, you know, species groupings. Once we got to individual tree species, you know, it kind of suggests that we need to rethink how we're looking at that point cloud or what sort of ancillary data do we bring in to inform it once we want to get to that resolution that kind of convinced ourselves we'd, we had done as much as we could with the, the data we had. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've been working a lot over two years. You know, we had the the workshop in February. A couple of weeks later, we were all in lockdown, and it was it's been a struggle. You know, initially, obviously, the forest companies were, you know, just trying to keep their heads above water and figure out what this reality looks like. So it was a probably a, a longer gap than we would have liked to in the dialogue between the sector and uh, and ourselves. But we got back on track. Um, you know, and, you know, the supply chain is huge and, you know, yep, there's opportunities yep. all along it. And, you know, in the conversations we were having with the sector, you know, we had some emerging priorities, but it was hard to, for them to understand collectively, where can we all put our efforts and where are we likely to see our biggest bang for our buck? Um, so two, two engagements we did last winter. One was, you know, what does that supply chain look like? And so we hired a process, uh, someone who did a process map, sat down with industry. You know, on one end, I've got a year of harvest blocks that uh, I plan to operate on. How do you queue them up? How do I do my pre-harvest surveys? How do I execute my harvest? How do I track my roadside volumes? How do I dispatch my trucking? How do I get things delivered to a mill, do my scaling and all of that at the other end? You know, what does that process look like? Who are the players involved? What data do I need going into this step to make my decision? You know, how good is it? How reliable is it? What data do I generate when I do that step? And what do I need to hand off to the next step? And I think it gave us a really good kind of high level understanding of where are the opportunities along there, you know, as you said, I've diverged from enhanced forest inventory, you know, EFI was seen as, yeah, we need to improve that going in, but the biggest opportunity was on the trucking and how do I optimize my trucking to make sure that I'm not, you know, 50% of the time they said, you know, a truck is going down the highway empty because it doesn't know where to go next or, you know, there's no yeah. backhaul for them. But you start there and you start working backwards and it's like, okay, I have these trucks, they don't know where to go because I don't have a good understanding of where my roadside inventories are, right? I don't know what volume is where in what products that need to go to what mills. So how do I improve that? Well, if I had, har if I had harvester head data, you know, and a way of 
of tracking a little bit better where, what's in my piles. You know, I'd have a better understanding of my roadside inventory. So then I could start optimizing that trucking, you know, and then that harvester head data is kind of the linchpin to, you know, I have it a high resolution, you know, conceivably with a, you know, precision GPS on the machine. I know what 20 meter cell that product came out of, and I know what that 20 meter cell was predicted to be. And then I can start building those feedback loops to make up those, those uh, improvements in my predictions over time. Um, but I guess thinking of that, when you say that, Adam, uh, harvesters, you know, more, you see more on the East Coast, thinking of some of our listeners saying, yeah, but Adam, it's like, oh, we're not using harvesters, we're using bunchers, yeah. feller bunchers. Yeah. How, how does that fit into the, the work you guys are doing? Or is that really one of those out of scope where focusing on this process and it's just the harvesters for now well, or are you going to go after the processors so we've got some i think you know the complementary thing we have on the harvester head data from the single grips is is as you said from the feller bunchers and and those sorts of machines and fp innovations is actually working on that side of things so fp innovations we work with closely and they have some complementary programs that that are, are feeding into this one i would say is on yeah, you know, using cameras or a LIDAR sensor on that on that machine. So as you grab that that tree in the feller buncher, it's scanning at least the, the bottom half and looking at the product recovery out of there. So it's a different way of getting at that. The other thing that ties all this in, you know, a lot of you know, we talk about these things with folks and their first uh, commentary is, well, I'm way out in the bush and uh, I don't have any cell reception. So how am I going to get all that data back to my office, right? And so FP Innovations actually uh, gave a pretty innovative presentation back in the fall. They were out in the field in British Columbia. They, you know, they've been experimenting with erecting their own cellular LTE towers at the harvest block, um, and then plugging that into a, a Starlink satellite system from uh, Mr. Musk, and uh, you know, being able to at the block level, you know, where else, wherever, being able to feed that data stream back into in back into your head office and your servers, so that you yeah. can start analyzing that data in real time. So, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So I know so lot, lots there. And again, our listeners are if you're. Well, I won't say paying attention. I'm assuming you're listening because you are paying attention. But lots of nuggets here, lots of different technology. So maybe at this point, like we, we obviously we can't cover everything in an hour, mm -hmm. but we're starting to touch on newer things. And so I'm curious to pick your brain for a few minutes yeah. in terms of I've realized some international people are like, well, why would you pick his brain? Like, well, like, and so the, the, the sayings, I guess, sometimes don't translate when you're finally challenged on them. But if I was to get your thoughts, yeah. what are some of the trends you're seeing in the one to three year time frame? What, what gets you excited when you wake up in the morning, as you say, you go to your bunker and you start working on stuff. Yeah. Are there, are there certain macro trends or themes that you're keeping an eye on? So one thing I've been given a lot of thought of, about, and, you know, I'm going to say these are couple of things I need, you know, that are on my mind. I don't have an answer for them yet, but yeah, they're down the road and I want to explore them. Um, obviously, um, you know, decarbonization, um, you know, forest as a solution to climate change and all of that is, is top of mind. Top of mind. Um, there's a lot of biomass that are going into electricity generation now and so on. And there's a lot of, you know, discussion about is that truly sustainable? Is it, you know, is that truly a carbon offset? And I want to think about using some of these supply chain tools, you know, really to build that chain of custody, make it really robust. So 
I've burned a, a ton of biomass or a ton of pellets in an in a energy generating facility. I want to get a credit. I want to be able to demonstrate that that ton that I'm burning is coming from a sustainable forest all the way back over here, right? And there's, you know, on one hand right. of that, that's I'm 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 burning this biomass and I'm not burning car coal, right? But the coal is out there and someone else might burn it. You know, that one's a little bit nebulous. But what I can build that that chain of custody back to the harvest block, take it back to that EFI cell. You know, with all of the, you know, the harvester head data go back that way through the mill, generate the biomass, go to a facility, burn it. All of the carbon that I'm producing, you know, from the harvesting and the trucking all, all along. So, you know, you know, how much green is left in that pellet there? How do I minimize the, you know, the trucking, the fuel consumption all the way along there? But really be able to say, you know, this ton of carbon that this represents back to this block, I'm really holding on to this based on what I'm going to do in the future at that 20 meter cell, right? I'm going to regenerate yeah. that. I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to commit to in 30 years, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to replace the carbon with tree improvement and advanced uh, genetics and things like that. You know, in 40 years, I'm going to do 150% of the carbon that I removed their last generation. And being able to have that transparency along that supply chain and being able to guarantee that and monitor it forward through time at resolution. Um, Very cool. I've seen a couple of case studies where, you know, the, the, the blockchain comes in as a tool to try to figure out how to track that and, you know, how to, how to, how to map that and keep it transparent. And yeah, um, everyone has the, the information they need um, to be assured that, you know, that ton of whatever I'm burning or that two by four that I'm putting into a building or, or so be it, whatever the, the forest products that I'm, I'm producing, you know, what is the legacy of that harvest block where it came from and what is it producing today that's offsetting so how, the carbon removal that I made? Yeah, so how far do you think we, we are from, from your vision? You think it's uh, 10 years out, 50 years out, two years out? The, the other thing and I'll, that I'll mention that we've been having the conversations in New Brunswick is if you want to build a system like that all along, all along the supply chain, it's the collaboration of the players that you need along there. And so that's the other thing that we've learned over two years in New Brunswick. It's there's the technical approach, but there's also the, the organizing people and, and making sure that people can um, you know, work together to be able to produce that system. Um, you know, on the harvester, I'll go back to the harvester head data, but we're working with folks at UNB on developing data trusts. So if a whole bunch of harvest contractors working for forest companies on crown land, and we, we all envision that we put all of our harvester head data into this common pool, you know, what kind of governance do we need to put around the rules of that pool, you know, who, who contributes what, how does it get aggregated, who gets what results out of there so that everyone wants to put their information in there. There's a whole lot of other discussions that have to happen around digitalization that, again, is less on the technical solution, but is how are we going to organize, it, organize ourselves so that we can function in these, you know, complex frameworks to make sure that everyone's on board to make that, to make that happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What's well, fascinating you to, to hear you make those comments, because there's definitely a theme as I as I talk with different people that that one 
for people who don't know forestry, it is uber complex. And then two, yes, technology is a component, but but in some respects, it's that change management and the people that are involved in yeah. terms of that journey. And, and to some extent, playing nice and everyone playing nice and, exactly. and looking towards the finish line. So uh, so I love talking with you because again, other, other people I talked to, I got to poke them with the metaverse and the blockchain. And here you are like just bringing them up. And I know you've listened to some past podcasts and I know a lot of people are like, you know, what, what are these guys talking about? Why do I care? Like I hear about meta in the news. I hear about Microsoft acquiring Activision, Blizzard Activision, the gaming. And like, what does this all mean? And, and maybe there's a new world, new world order uh, coming to life. It won't happen overnight, but, but, but we're trending in that direction. Um, so as we look to wind down, yeah. lots of topics we've covered here, man. It's like, so, so I, I want to try and bring it back to not the average Joe Forrester in the sense that the Forrester is an average Joe, as opposed to for that person looking to start, whether on LIDAR, whether focusing, helping in that, that harvest supply, timber harvesting supply mm-hmm. chain or the AI or, 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 you know, we talked about ITC, we talked about LIDAR, individual tree area, like, like so many words, yeah. what's your pro tip for them to, to get off the sofa if you will you know all yeah. those excuses they may be bringing them themselves on why they can't do it is there a pro tip you would give them to to jump start them yeah i mean if you if so i i think we're we're well structured now we've got resources in place so you know through the canadian forest service the work of joanne white there's the best practices guides on development of enhanced forest inventories great guides to use you know in terms of if you want to start building uh, an enhanced forest inventory um, you know you don't have to do all the coding in R yourself through the aware program and uh, you know there's the lidar package which basically you know gives you all the tools you need to do that right down to the itc as well as a whole ebook on how to do that um, going back to the federal research forests we've set those up really well uh, to some degree, you know, the super site at Petawawa and the work we're doing at Acadia, you know, there's plots at hand, there's data at hand in different forest types across Canada. So you can actually, you know, without having to go out in a snowmobile and do a bunch of plots, you can get your hands dirty with this stuff pretty, pretty quickly. Um, there's all the legacy of the AWARE program. So you can go on that website and see all of the work that came out of there. Who were the collaborators? So if you're a student finishing an undergrad and, you know, this stuff's interesting, I want to do a graduate program, you know, you can identify who are the top-notch professors out there across Canada who you'd want to reach out to. We're just starting our next five-year NSERC program uh, called Silva 21. Um, again, a lot in the same framework as AWARE. Um, you know, it's it's focused on silviculture and a change in climate. So looking at, you know, what impacts our climate change going to have on our silviculture? How do we how do we transform the way we do silviculture? But there's a lot of important questions in there that I would say are carryover from aware, you know, species identification, less at the broad scale. But, you know, I have uh, 10,000 hectares of plantations that I want to clean. You know, I want to find the fir and the hardwood in my spruce plantations. So it's still ITC species prediction, but in a different context. So we're continuing to focus on those. And again, if you if you look up the Silva 21 program, you're going to see, you know, really the community of people working on these things in Canada. Um, and you know, they're they're uh, quite open communities, I would say. So 
if you want to reach out to any anyone who's involved in those projects um, for more information, um, to learn what what what's going on in the projects, or as I said, you're an undergrad looking for a graduate program, um, you're going to find the resources just by poking around in those projects and find out who yeah, to reach yeah. out to. Yeah, lots lots of resources uh, there that you just shared to jumpstart yeah. people. Yeah. So hey, this hour has flown by. I've had tons of fun well one catching up with you again we haven't chatted seen each other in a while so it's super fun to see what you're up to for those folks who want to get in touch with you what's yes. the best way is it email website i know you already talked about a couple of resources but but where do they find you where are you the most active yeah. are you on social or, or how do they get a hold of you i think on I, I use twitter sometimes i think it's at adam dick um i can't be sure i don't know um <laughs> Email is probably the easiest. And, and we, uh, adam.dick at nrcan, n-r-c-a-n hyphen r-n-can dot gc.ca. It's a bit of a, of a mouthful, but uh, yes, if, some, uh, some things get complicated uh, at the end of the day with emails and, and government, yeah. but adam.dick at nrcan hyphen r-n-can dot gc gc dot ca. Yep. There you go. So that's the best way, folks. Uh, again, super intelligent guy here with breadth of experience. You, you get a sense from that, from listening to him from the start. Studies, that spark, what then took him through doing some industry work into the provincial government, now in the federal government, driving some new initiatives for next generation forestry. So Adam, thanks so much for your time. Uh, last thoughts to you. Yeah, no, I... Uh... I, this is just a great space to be to be in. I'm I'm really happy to be involved in this stuff, and uh, you know, it's uh, I you know, I would say it sh sh should be kind of the envy of of the forest uh, profession in Canada that uh, you know we're taking a lead on these sorts of things, and yeah, you know, it it really you know it redefines the the profile of a forester, and I think it's a it's a good it's it's a good profile for the forester to have. Um, be able to sure. dig into numbers and make better decisions so. for sure yeah definitely the the future for the that young forester even uh forester in the middle of their careers and even the the ones near the tail end of the careers you, you just Absolutely. never know there's great opportunities to, to, exactly. to innovate and and bring about change so my friend thanks so much for carving out an hour of time to speak with me i really enjoyed it as i said i wanted to catch up see what you're up to so thanks so much for your time and yeah, be well and uh We'll see you at some point on uh, on the circuit. Sounds good. Hopefully, see you, Kevin. All right. Thanks, Adam.